All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. Before we get cracking on this one, we first would like to thank our sponsor in Fly Racing. Fly Racing is excited to celebrate its 25th anniversary in 2023. Led by the revolutionary Formula S helmet featuring Rion technology, Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product performance and design. We would like to thank our loyal dealers and customers for 25 incredible years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new line at flyracing.com, at Fly Racing on social media, and our athletes at Worldwide Motocross and Off-Road Events in 2023. All right, firstly, we'd like to welcome the great mayor, Jason Thomas, to the podcast after his sort of whirlwind trip, whirlwind season. How are you, mate? And thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I'm good. I'm finally uh, finally recovered. Um, what, a, what a great trip. Uh, just that part of the world, that time of year. You never really know what you're going to get on weather, but we were really lucky. And that event is simply like nothing else. Uh, and Ed, next time there's something like that, you got to you got to make the the trip over. It's it's really something to see. Um, it's just one of those events where I, you know, in 2015, I'm like, I don't know that I'll ever see something like this again to this this magnitude. And then there we were in 2023, and we did it all over again in better weather. And uh, I would say more people and, and a just crazier atmosphere all around. It's uh, there's really nothing like it. Um, yeah. I'm happy. I went, I was paying the price afterwards. I was really worn out and just physically and mentally exhausted after a long year, you know, cause we're on month nine or 10 of uh, going nonstop. So I'm happy that's over with. I'm happy. I'm getting a, a minute to breathe, but yes, to your question, what a fantastic trip that was. Oh, you're a machine, mate, how you've done. And I guess the body, just having that knowledge that you don't have any races, is probably just having a little bit of a reset, mate. And yeah, definitely plan to get next year to Madley Basin. Obviously, my wife and I were at a wedding that weekend and Lorenzo was telling me, I'm sure your wedding was great, but the Nations is probably like so much better. I would 100% guarantee that, mate. But yeah, cheers for taking the time. And also welcome the boss from MX Vice, James Burfield. How's life? And thanks for joining us too. Yeah, I can completely relate to uh, JT. I, yeah. Uh... I've spent the last uh, seven days. I drove. I drove through the night Sunday night uh, and got back about eight thirty in the morning on Monday because I just <laughs> wanted to get home and uh, didn't think nothing of it until I woke up the next day. And then literally, I've just had man flu for about the past seven days, which I think pretty sure is all the COVID symptoms because I lost taste and smell and stuff like that. So uh, today is the first day where I've actually my voice is normal and um, I'm not literally snot all over the microphone or whatever. So uh, yeah, it was uh, like JT said, the the actual event just blew me away. Um, you know, I knew it was going to be big. They they had sold fifty thousand tickets three weeks before we even got to the nations, but it was just incredible to see the, just the amount of people, the energy, the atmosphere. Um, was ridiculous. I mean, on on the Friday, you kind of walked in at ten o'clock in the morning, and usually the, the the big kind of field, which is the hill, which is uh, opposite the track, uh, that was full on a Friday, and it, it's just like you didn't see that happen. So it's like you knew it was going to be a big nations, but I can only imagine the amount of money what was was uh, made that weekend. I mean, I, I've been trying to do figures, but I'm thinking six million. Uh, because I don't know what JT thinks about this, but every time they, they were charging 40 euros to get in the paddock and I didn't see the queue ever be like less than 10 people all weekend. So all weekend yeah. people were paying 40 euros to get into the paddock. The amount of money that generated over the, it was 65 euros to get in, uh, for one day, I think, I don't know what it was for the weekend. 
but you know the money that was was made over the weekend was just it must have been up there with I was already told it was the biggest attendance in nations, but monetary yeah. wise, I think blew past everything they could have ever imagined. See, I, I would argue, I would argue that Redbud 2023 was made significantly more money, um, and I'll tell you why. That the camping oh, wow. and uh, and it's not it's not my business to share dollars because I truly don't know them, but I, I know what they were charging people to camp. I know what they're charging to get in. I've never seen anything like what that was. Um, the, the sponsorship fees, because you got to remember, right? The American market is massive, right? So every brand, every sponsor was spending, we were blowing budgets apart to to be at that event. Uh, I Yeah. So that's why I think you're seeing such a demand to come back to America for 2025 is because the amount of money that they're making at these American motocross of nations now is unimaginable. Um, I'm uh, Yeah. Again, None of my business. I, I hope they make all the money in the world, whether whoever's involved. Um, but I had never seen and just, you know, I have a little bit of insight because I know what some of the fees are. I know what some of the costs are like to participate on a vendor level and also what they were charging people to get in. And then I looked around and I saw that they had to expand parking lots and acquire more land to put people in. I, yeah, I, I would say multiples of the number you threw out was brought in, uh, in 2023 and in 2018, multiples of the number you threw out. Wow. Wow. That, that yeah. doesn't surprise me, JT, because, uh, but there again, I, I don't take anything away from, um, uh, you know, the people who put this on because the, just the, the, when, when you start to talk to people who are, are just responsible for say 3% of the event and you talk about, you, you talk to them about what they have to do then it really is mind-boggling the amount of work what oh, goes into one event. And there, there's risk. There's risk too. Um, I, I've seen Motocross Nations events that lost money, right? So you yeah. put on a great event. You they, they didn't have a gun to anybody's head. You know, people are willing to go and spend their hard-earned money. And you ask anybody that was at Redbud in 2023, one of the best weekends of their life, right? So uh, to me, that was just good business. Everybody had a great time. I, I didn't talk to anyone. Not one person or outside of maybe uh, the Dutch team or somebody, but someone that went there to spend their weekend that left there going, you know what? This wasn't worth it. I shouldn't have spent this money like this. No one, no one was saying that. So in that, like, in that thought process, I don't care how much money they made, more power to them. I hope they make all the money in the world. And that, that's just for the health of the sport. They're going to continue to come back to America for this event. And it's just going to, you know, propel uh, these series and and to make better events and yeah so I, I don't really see any downside to it I'm just more speaking on a observational basis it was in, an incredibly profitable event from my perspective I don't have any I don't you know I don't I don't get to see the bottom line but uh, I can I can add fairly well and it looked like it was a good deal for everybody hey that must have been a big old motorhome in those uh, pits what was acting as a bank because I, I, I'm guessing. <laughs> It started the yeah. weekend, JP, with just like a smaller motorhome. And then they were like, shit, where do we put more cash? We need more motorhomes. So I bet they were just like filling these motorhomes. <laughs> so um, somewhere in the pit somewhere, there was a bank, the bank of cash. Yeah, they come in, they come in with, uh, in, the, in, the, in the States, they come in with armed guards and armored trucks. And uh, they take money away at certain times of the day um, with full armed security and everybody. They don't, they don't play around with that stuff. Wow. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, for everybody involved, you know, a uh, huge power on the back because um, like you said, I, 
you know, everybody like literally a week later, still people are posting pictures, videos, you know, they've just had an amazing time. Uh, I didn't even, I mean, I had an amazing time. I didn't even get to the monster party. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't go to anything. I left, uh, after this, this year's race, I left immediately. So I didn't, I didn't do anything other than drive back to Paris. Do you know, do you know what I, um, I, I, I literally, every time I get to get to an event, you know, trying to do the post-race podcast and bits and pieces. And, uh, it was kind of a weird one for me this year because, um, uh, I spoke to the JWR team on the Friday. They, um, uh, I mean, I probably shouldn't mention this, but I will do anyway. Um, but JWR, um, turned down a couple of um, opportunities with Kawasaki and uh, Honda. And they were in line to take over the EMX 250 uh, for Yamaha. So um, pretty much everybody knew about it. I think people were coming up and congratulating them, but they were like, no, 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 it's not not done deal or whatever. But basically on the Sunday, they got told by Yamaha that it wasn't going to be happening. So they had already turned down Honda this year, Kawasaki this year, um, because they were, you know, uh, you know, Yamaha were all for it. And they were told on the Sunday of the Nations that the contract was no longer there. So um, I spoke to Johan sort of, you know, after him, obviously he was in pieces because he was just like, I've worked so hard since 2018 to get this opportunity. And now it's just been sort of, uh, you know, taken away. He generally doesn't know what to do. So we don't even know if JWR is running. And then I went to do an interview with um, to Calvin and then I, I bumped into em- Emil Gebbin and um obviously it was his last te- last you know last team race with with Calvin because after that he shut and shutting his doors so i ended up spending about an hour and a half talking to Emil Gebben and and drinking a couple of beers so post race podcast never happened but it was like uh it was kind of an emotional time talking to those two people who put so much into the sport um you know they've been paramount over the last you know, 15 years between them, 16 years, and now possibly they won't even be in, they won't be there next year. Crazy. Yeah, it's brutal, mate. Yeah, that's uh, tough times. What's going on. And obviously with the Cab Screens team shutting down in the UK and then the other Yamaha, Circo Yamaha in Australia is shutting down. So there's definitely some tough times in the sport moving forward. But I guess back to JT and the Nations, mate, we might sort of broach on those topics again later. But how was the whole trip for you, mate? Obviously you got there early to do some exploring. There's some very important places in history you were particularly saying you wanted to go and visit. So how was all that, mate? And I guess how was being in the booth? Must have been a flat-out weekend for you. It would have been catching up with lots of people, I'm sure, lots of meetings. But, yeah, the weather at least turned it on for you, mate. It was absolutely perfect. The track looked great. Obviously, it raced quite interestingly, especially for the American guys. It was probably something a little bit out of their comfort zone. But looked like you would have had a blast, mate. It was a phenomenal event overall, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. Um, I got in Tuesday and uh, kind of meandered my way around a bit, took in some uh, just sightseeing and history stuff that I talked to James a little bit about. Um, you know, that that area of the world is is such a treasure trove for that stuff with World War II. And, and there's just everywhere you go, there's something to see um, just from that era. And uh, I didn't really have to be over to do any duties until like late Thursday. Um, I needed to deliver uh, RJ Hampshire's gear and, and start kind of my whirlwind of meetings that I had scheduled throughout the weekend. Uh, so it was nice to, to have a couple of days to myself. Most of the time I honestly spent um, on the phone and, and on Microsoft Teams with the USA doing business stuff. But um, I also, you know, had these scenic backdrops and things too. So it wasn't so bad. Um, but the race, yeah, just getting to do television uh, with, you know, for an event that prestigious, um, yeah, I tweeted something about, it. I just 
didn't ever think that would be possible. Like if you had told me that 10 or 15 years ago, I would have, I would have laughed. I literally would have laughed because I'm like, why would they ever ask me to do that? You know, like why, why would I get that privilege? And I still don't quite know. Um, I mean, I'm very thankful for it and I, and I would never say no to it, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know why they want me to do it. I'll just keep doing it until they ask me to stop and enjoy every second of it. Uh, it's what I feel is the the biggest event on the calendar period. Um, the only event that I can say even comes close in a, in at certain aspects is Anaheim one. And they're very different. Uh, you know, the, the camaraderie and the patriotism and all those things are very unique to the motocross of nations. There is nothing that will even come close, uh, hasn't or ever will, but Anaheim one has its own unique hype. Um, I think the excitement level and, you know, we, we don't have racing for a few months leading up to it. So that adds to it. Um, so those are, to me, those are the two biggest events on the calendar. They're different, uh, but really the only two that are comparable on an enthusiasm, a hype and an expectation level. Uh, so to get to do television at Anaheim one, as far as the pit reporting and then be in the booth for, for motocross the nations. Uh, I don't know what I did to deserve that, but I'll, uh, I will certainly take it. Keep doing you, JT. Keep doing you. I guess. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, somebody, I'm sure somebody will pinch me one day and I'll wake up and be like, you know what? That would have been awesome if I actually got to do all those things, but I'll wake up and it's, you know, 2013 and I'm laying in my bed in Boise somewhere and, and it was all a dream, but that's okay. I'm going to keep enjoying it for now. Yeah. Keep, keep, keep rolling. Um, no, from, from our point of view, um, it, you know, for, with the broadcast as well, you just bring, you know, we've always said like Paul Malin's a fantastic commentator, but it definitely enhances it when, uh, he's got you to bounce off of and you have your insights as well. So we you know, I, I definitely know that you've been missed throughout the year because of your commitments over in America this year, because usually you do about five or six GP appearances, um throughout the year and i know this year has been real tough for you because you've pretty much been working every weekend so um yeah you do bring that that balance to um to the show and to, to commentating as well paul does a great job on his own but sometimes it's nice to have two people bouncing off in different different ideas and stuff yep no paul's uh paul's incredible um you know i truly think he enjoys being in the booth by himself more uh, so I always try to make sure that I'm just complimentary to him, um, staying out of his way when he needs to do the things that are important to the show. But I also have a different perspective than he does, right? I spend, you know, I spent 31 races in the USA and I have, uh, you know, I wasn't at all the GP, so I can bounce ideas off him that may or may not be correct. But also at that event specifically for the American riders or riders like Ken Roxon who ride that series, I have much more insight than he would, right? Being 5,000 miles away. So, and the Lawrence brother. Um, yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, the biggest star of the show, Jet Lawrence, right? I got to interview him, I don't know, 50 times this year. <laughs> um, and I get to speak with him off, you know, off camera as well. And I'm really close with certain members of his inner circle. So, yeah, it's, I think it works well. Um, I, I, again, you know, I, I try to, understand his flow and work in with how he wants the show to go. But again, we've been doing races together now since 2018. So we've, we've found chemistry and, and not, not that I can finish his sentences for him, but I know when he's trying to get in and get out and, and what his cadence is too. So it's, it's gotten much easier on that front. 
Yeah, it's an important aspect, I, I guess. It's kind of like reading the room, hey, JT, where you can get the most out of them when you know you can get the most out of them. And there are those times when they just want to do what they need to do and go. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's always interesting, right? And I've, I've gotten to watch uh, and be a close part of different dynamics, whether it's in the USA, whether it's Lee Diffie or Todd Harris or Jason Wygant or whoever mixed up with Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart. And, you know, it's like this rotating cast of characters and watch how they all work these things out and how they adapt and all those things from afar. I didn't have to be a part of, it. I could simply observe. Um, so that's given me, that's given me some insight. And I, you know, I listen, we have these conference calls during the week where everybody's bouncing questions off each other and figuring out how they want to approach things. So I've been trying to take all the things I've learned and uh, yeah, utilize those when I get, you know, the, the small opportunities that I do get. No, that's cool. Um, one thing which uh, I was I thought was really cool to see was uh, was uh, Ken Roxon returning to them across the nations, and obviously he's he's spent a long time away. But the crowd in in the buzz just to have him back in uh, in on European soil for me, I knew it was going to be big, but I didn't realize how much. You know, he he really is a superstar, isn't he? When when you start to think about what he's gone away and what he's achieved in America, and in you know, obviously stuff outside of the sport with you know adverts and TV shows he's been on and stuff like that. Like in the in uh, in Europe, he he is obviously you know quite revered, but um, I had no idea really that the scowl of you know everywhere he was going, he was mobbed. So many people pleased to see him. It was it was kind of nice, and I think he kind of mentioned on social media how well you know how good it was to be back. Was you um was you did you kind of feel that as well, JT, with his presence within Europe? Yeah, I mean he's he is uh, if he's not um, yeah we're talking about a, a superstar, right? Like he's yeah. the, these guys. I would say Jet and Ken Roxon both are the two most marketable, biggest superstar riders on the planet. Uh, results aside um so anytime you get them back into europe where they haven't been neither of them have really been much as of late um for jet it's really the first time europeans have gotten to see him ride uh, the the current iteration of jet not the 14 year old jet and then for ken roxon you know he left in 2013 and i think everybody would say he was going to be a multi-time world champion mxgp if had he stayed so anytime he gets to make a one-off appearance in, in Europe, it's almost like, okay, well, this is what it would have looked like. And I think it's a little bit of a reminder of how good Ken Roxon is and would have been. So I, I think between those two, it's it's give and take. I would have said Kenny has been, but I think Jed is is surpassing Kenny as uh, the most marketable rider on earth. And it's just an age thing, and it's you know more of a where are we going, not where have we been thing. Yeah. One of the cool things which I, I managed to uh, see firsthand because I was filming the start gate and um, was Kenny was ha- having real trouble sort of uh, getting his whole shot device uh, in. And um, basically, uh, uh, Jet Lawrence took literally holding his bike with one hand, got off his bike, holding his bike with one hand, held it in place for Kenny to push down, got back on, fist bumped in and away they went. I think, I don't know if that was caught on camera at all, but it just shows as well, you know, at that level, uh, country against country, um, you know, that's just the, you know, professional, but also at the same time, they're still trying to help each other. Yeah, there's mutual respect too. And and I think, 
there were some hard feelings after the SMX playoff rounds, the whole scenario at Chicago and Jet pulled over and all that stuff. Kenny was not happy with Jet at all. Um, but I think, you know, time heals a lot of things. And I think they spoke off camera and you'd have to, you have to understand who Jet is uh, off when the, when the cameras are off. Like he's the most jovial, fun loving uh, kid I've ever met to a fault. Um, he, he doesn't know when it's time to be serious and not, and that, that's something that'll come with age. Uh, he's in my opinion, off the motorcycle, he's very immature for his age, which sounds crazy because he's only 20, but I, I don't think he off the motorcycle acts even like a 20 year old, um, in his mind, he, he acts like he's 16 and I, you know, that's not only me, but other people that are very close to them, they would agree with that. Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's just people develop their social skills and all those things in at, at different times and all of that is completely contrasted to how he races a motorcycle he races like he's 30 and he acts like he's 16 um it's just it's just wild to me the divergence there and i guess if you had to choose choose the one that's going to make you millions of dollars because the the race craft and the way he his approach to racing is like nothing I've seen at that age, period. Uh, not even close. And you could ask Carmichael Stewart, everybody there like, yeah, it was a mess, right? I was just, I just wanted to win every single time I touched the motorcycle. And if I didn't, I was willing to crash to prove it. That's not really Jet. Jet wants to win, yes, but he is so methodical in his approach and he understands risk and when you can take chances and when uh, there's a win in the cards and when there's not. And uh, that is just something he, he, is so wise beyond his years on a motorcycle and then so young <laughs> off the motorcycle. Um, it's pretty crazy. I'll give you an example. You know, they're at, they all practice at what used to be Chad Reed's facility. They, the Lawrence has now owned that facility. It's called the dog pound now. Um, but there's a big group of, of people that ride there. Uh, a kid named Drew Adams who won the Los Angeles Coliseum futures event. Uh, I guess it was called like the all stars uh, there um chance hymas who is a fly racing rider you know and they're all younger than jet drew adams yeah. is 15 chance hymas is 18 but that's the crew that jet hangs out with he doesn't hang out with hunter and the older kids he hangs out with the younger group and just that's where his mental i think he feels more mentally comfortable like those are on a emotional and a maturity level that's who he feels more you know, in tune with and, and more in common with. So that just gives you a little bit of a glimpse of kind of where he is and that'll change right when he's, and that's what it's funny when you, I, I get this great insight from Ricky and James and these guys who have done it all right. They're the best we've ever seen. And yeah. they all say for him to be here now, when he's 22, 24, 25, forget it. Like no one will be able to touch him or even consider touching him because he hasn't even, like once his brain catches up to what is his body will allow him to do it, it's over like it's absolutely over for everyone and we'll see if that plays out but they are adamant in that opinion yeah. and that prediction uh so it's pretty interesting for that's really high praise from those guys because they don't praise anyone they're very i don't want to say jaded but when you when you're the best it's ever been it's hard to impress hard to impress you right like so for them to be that impressed and to give those kind of accolades off camera when no one's, I mean, no one's there to see it. You know, these are in private conversations. Um, yeah. You can tell that they expect huge things from this kid. And with the, um, 
obviously with his performances over the past year and being 20 years old and, and with the mindset that he has, you know, the, the fact that you've got Stuart and Carmichael are basically saying he probably is probably can improve, you know, with, with his racecraft and, you know, that that's kind of scary because even like looking into next year is kind of like, you know, we're, we're going to see Tomac back in, in, you know, Sexton on the KTM, but it's like, who, you know, he could actually run away with it once more. He could. He, there's, there's no question that he absolutely could. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess it was a pretty good testament to what you were just saying, JT, how he managed the weekend. Obviously, we know what he did in the first moto, just an impressive, phenomenal ride back through the field on a pass. It was so tight, so hard to pass on, you know, very sketchy. But the way he just, the balance and the sort of poise and the composure to do that, to slice through when he needed to and make those moves with conviction was very impressive. And then in the second one with that move on Kenny, he said, Kenny, you know, he knows more about these kind of tracks. He's got so much experience. I may as well study him for the first seven laps or so, and then I can work out when I can pull the trigger and pounce to make the move. And that's exactly what he did. So, yeah, what you were saying, it's just so impressive seeing someone like that. And I guess really breaking down borders, being bigger than the sport. Obviously, it's really cool for me personally being Australian, but you see that ESPN interview that was done, which was a really great piece of writing and a really cool insight into him. So it sort of gave an insight into how, you know, his mind and the way he races and the way he is as a person off the track sort of comes together to form the unique figure that he is. So, is there been a lot of talk about that ASP and interview? And yeah, it was just another masterclass by him at the Motocross Nations to sort of elevate him once again on the proper world stage. Yeah, I mean, the ESPN interview was definitely, um, I think there were there were things in there that a few people didn't like. Um, but yeah, such is journalism. And um, I, if you're looking at it, is it a net positive or a net negative as far as having that sort of exposure and, and on that stage? Of course, it was a positive. Um, I think the only thing that I heard about from others, not necessarily me, because I, I just don't really care. Um, I'm a huge Jet Lawrence fan. The only thing that I heard about was like talking about McGrath's win record when you haven't raced a 450 Supercross yet. To me, and, and I would agree, it's probably way premature. Like it, it shouldn't even be mentioned yet because you literally have not raced one of those events yet in that class. So to talk about winning 72 of them or 73 to break the records, it probably doesn't have any place in the interview, in my opinion. But again, this is a journalist who is not endemic to the sport. She, you know, like, and yeah, I, I guess if you want to give Jack credit for it too, like Jet didn't shy away from it. It's He said, that's, that's the goal. That's what I want to do. So I just know that some of the um, old heads, you know, I think some people are like, man, like, you shouldn't be talking about that yet. I think some people who have done a lot in the sport and were like, yeah, that I could never even dream of getting to that number. Or like, yeah, dude, don't even, don't even think about that yet. Wait till you rack off a bunch of wins and a bunch of championships. And then we'll start talking about if that's going to be reality or not. One of the uh, funniest things that happened to me, um, in the nations at the weekend was, uh, when they went out for free practice and I think he qualified, um, I'm, probably going to get this wrong but i think he qualified seventh or eighth in free practice or just his he had seventh or eighth best time and uh i was walking back to the pits and about three or four different people who like to sort of just bench trace and stuff come up to me and went there we go that's what happens when you're away from gps um you know it's like you know man's tracking all it and i'm just like oh my god like he's just gone 24 like you know like and you're you've got and this is people within the industry as well so I just kept my mouth shut. 
And then uh, obviously when he went out, and I think it was in time practice, and I think he qualified tech. No, it was, it was in the was it qualifying race when he went from he was eighth and then all of a sudden he literally went from eighth to second and and closed the gap and um those same people just sort of looked at me kind of smiled and sort of yeah got that wrong so it, it was quite <laughs> it was yeah. quite a, a fun time for me um on on the saturday kind of uh witnessing that is kind of like free free very he, like he did have to people he really did have to kind of figure things out though um, from talking to people on in their, you know, their team and, and their inner group. Um, it was a battle to get him comfortable to sort the track out the conditions. Uh, it, it's very different. Right. And, and just because he raced EMX in 2018 uh, he's never ridden that track before. And it's a very unique track, very unique traction uh, conditions. And you could tell he struggled. Like he didn't have, his prototypical fast qualifying lap times. Uh, and it was a, I think it was just a learning process throughout the weekend, but by that final moto and, and really towards the end of, uh, you know, the, the first moto and then the second moto, of course, you can really see it start to shine through, right? He is just, he has so much that he's able to overcome whatever is thrown at him. And by the end of the weekend, he was the best rider on the planet again, you know, and that's, uh, I think that's a theme we're just going to see time and time again. Uh, he's only it, the scary thing is he's only getting better from here, in my opinion. You know, I, I think we're scratching the surface of what this kid is truly capable of. Um, and yeah, bright, bright days ahead. And the only people I really feel sorry for in all this are his sponsors that are going to have to find budget to pay him what he's worth. That those are the people I really feel sorry for uh, because it is going to be a very, uh, I think, worthwhile but a very expensive enterprise to to uh, be a part of Jet Lawrence's rise over the next few years. Yeah, it's going to hurt those budgets. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, mate. I was going to also ask JT while he's on, James, just quickly. Team USA, how is it from your perspective? Obviously, it was really awesome for them to just be there. They needed to be there, run those plates. Obviously, they had a little bit of pressure and weight of expectation, but I think it was just more relief that they're actually there. And, you know, people like yourself and Paul, Mike, Christina from the AMA did such a great job getting it all together. And obviously, the KTM group, massive effort for them putting in, but probably wasn't the weekend they wanted, but they were still in podium contention, you know, right up until the last moto, essentially. AP and RJ showed some great speed. Obviously, Christian didn't have the weekend he wanted, which you can't really expect too much more from. It was a really valiant effort. You know, hasn't raced in Supercross and had, what, six weeks back on the bike. But yeah, it's just a massive arena to step into that track, that environment, that atmosphere. So I guess it's your overall takes on Team USA, mate. I guess you were still proud cheering them on, that's for sure. Yeah, I didn't I didn't have any expectations really going in, which helps. Um, I knew probably more than most um, just because I've been to this event so many times and my history of racing and coming off of injuries and, and however you want to phrase it, all the different angles of it. I just knew what the ask was and how much of a challenge this was going to be for them. So that helped me to temper any sort of unrealistic expectation that others might have had. And I was just you there to cheer him on. Um, you know, AP had his hand up the entire time to race and I was hoping for the best, you know, RJ should have been much better had he stayed off the ground. You know, his speed was much better than I think what his results showed. You know, I, I think outside of Vial, I think he could have beaten anybody in that race, uh, had he stayed off the ground, like the speed was good enough. Uh, but yeah, it, that's, you know, racing takes many things It takes starts and can't crash and all, all those things that we all know. And then for Christian, you know, it's 
he, I, I want to say thank you to him for be, being willing to do it. Cause I think he knew what he was walking into. He hasn't raced since April. He's never raced a Husqvarna 450 in motocross and he's never raced any, any sort of MXGP type event ever. Right. So to expect any sort of uh, heroic effort or result from him, I think was not fair. I don't, I just don't think to have any sort of expectation like that would have been fair for him. Um, but again, when so many people said no to going to this event and basically just declined, whoever said yes, I was going to cheer for. End of story. I, I don't care what the result was. I didn't, and again, most of the, most years I expect that team to be on the podium, but this year, knowing the circumstances and knowing where we were, we almost didn't send a team. Like we were precipitously close to not sending a team. Uh, I just went in with, yeah, let's, let's do the best we can. And whatever result comes, I'm going to cheer for you anyway. And that's kind of how I left there on the weekend as well. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a great effort from the Americans in I've, you know, the nations wouldn't be the nations without the, without team USA there. So it's like, we're all thankful that team USA um, turned up for me. It was just great to see, uh, you know, Pleasanger Hampshire in, uh, in Craig, you know, right around her name, you know, and um, you know, f- like you said, the, the track is so different to what you know, it's so technical. It's it's such a hard track. The, I I think they done really well anyway. To 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 be in with a podium shot right up to the last point was um, you know, it was a great effort. And uh, I would say on this on I got a lot of uh, negative feedback about me talking about uh, Team GB uh, not being a podium, uh, you know, contention or even top five. And I kind of said that, you know, if they make the top 10, that's a very, very good result. And they did. They they they, they managed to get a 10th. And, and I think it's just uh, I expect it's a little bit the same with 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 the U.S. audience, with the U.K. audience. You know, it is like, you know, Facebook going on fire and everything because we've not done very well. But you have to remember the caliber of riders that were racing, um, you know, at that event is it is phenomenal. So the fact that, you know, Muse, um, Gilbert, who's first ever um, Nations uh, and Ben Watson, they done amazing to bring it home in, in, in 10th place. So it's like. Uh, you know, we've had years of of Wilson, Anstey, Simpson, Searle. Uh, you know, you know, four riders who have always been at the forefront of of whatever they've done. We haven't got that anymore. So this next generation of riders is going to take time. So we have got to chip away again. You know, the the tenths, the eights, the sevenths, the sips, and build it up to to becoming a, a podium contention again. Um, I think you know we've had it too good for too long with with the riders we've got. And uh, you know, I think the riders what rode in the nations, you, they got to take their hats off because. You know they they perform to the best of their ability, and uh, a tenth place uh, finishing top ten in the world with the riders and the caliber of teams that was was entered, I think was was a great result. I'm, I'm sure you looked out uh, a lot for Team uh, GB, uh, Jace. Uh, I mean, I was watching them. Obviously, they were wearing fly racing. Um, so well, yeah, that's great. You had two two riders out of the three. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was paying attention to him. Um, but yeah, I was I was more curious to see because it was a, a really inexperienced lineup for them. Um, you know, you've seen familiar faces on that team for so long that uh, I didn't really know what to expect. But then when I kind of looked at the depth and, and I it's it was a weird year because it wasn't the powerhouse teams that we've seen in the past. Right. It wasn't 
every MXGP star over the last 15 years at this event. It was, it was kind of a new era of, of teams. In my opinion, there were, you know, some of the establishment was still there, but you think about the hurlings and the Cairolis and the Tomacs and the Dungies and all those guys are gone. Right. So it's this new era. But then when I started looking at how many countries could possibly be in the top five, yeah, it was 10 or 12. Right. So when it's that way, then it, you, somebody's going to be 10th, right? And it doesn't mean that that their team is not ideal. You just knew that at the end of the day, the points tally, there are probably going to be six or eight countries from 35 to 60 with total points for the day. And who is where, right? And at one score from one rider, like one DNF that you had to use as your fifth score could absolutely determine that. And we'll look at Spain, right? Spain in my opinion, could have been on the podium. They could have won the whole thing, but Oliveira didn't have a good day, and Fernandez really blew it in that second moto. So it's just that yeah. way. There were a lot of teams that could have done really well. It was more like who was going to have a really good day and who wasn't. Um, you know, I personally felt that France and Australia were head and shoulders better than everyone. Um, you know, had Ferris had a little bit of a better day, maybe they have a chance. You know, Jet wins both motos. Like Hunter Lawrence is not hurt. There, there was a lot to work through with the Australian team. But on paper, I felt like those were the two best teams by a pretty significant margin. And then it was a battle for everybody else. Like, I really felt like that podium finish was up for grabs. And, uh, yeah, credit to the Italians. They grabbed it. Yeah, I agreed. There was, like you say, there was so, like, you know, Italy, um, you know, Germany, Italy, uh, all – those guys were just, you know, Spain. They're all so close, and then obviously the Dutch. If Koldenhoff hadn't have um, obviously got got the concussion, um, then uh, that you know, even the, it's crazy to say, but even like you know, Sweden with Benson um, in Usland, you know, that that's another good, another solid team riding MXGP and gifting so, had the issues, yeah. So it's like uh, every team you, th- you literally went through. Was just like you know, that. It wasn't outstanding, but it it it, it was still a solid team. That's the thing. It wasn't. It's like J- JT said. It wasn't like you had these big powerhouses, all three riders, big powerhouses. You just had three solid riders. So um, I think it was probably for me. I knew it was going to be the closest nations, not for 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 the win of for second, but definitely for that third podium. It, it was a, definitely a, a fight between um, seven or eight teams that could possibly podium that weekend. I think it's just great to for what for once to have such tight team racing rather than uh, you get to the first race and it's like oh here we go pretty much it's it's a done deal already. Yeah, there was so much depth, wasn't there, mate? The classes were just stacked and so many great riders. And obviously, Madeley Basin next year should just be absolutely epic with a pretty full strength team USA, obviously, and maybe Hurlings as well. That'd just add to the star power. Get Roxton back, but I know with JT's on a tight schedule here, mate. So. Firstly, obviously, James and I would just like to thank you massively for joining us on the podcast this year. We might squeeze in a couple before A1, obviously, but yeah, really appreciate all your insight and taking the time and your schedule, mate, to, you know, chat to us and, you know, give the fans so much insight. They've loved it. We've got so many great listen numbers, feedback. It's all been excellent. So just any final thoughts from you, mate? And yeah, cheers again. No, just, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a been a great 2023 personally and professionally and uh really looking forward to it you know i really want to get back i've been i spent a lot of time with uh in front who for those that don't know is the organization that puts on mxgp and motocross nation spent a lot of time with them 
sorting out schedules and trying to get back to Europe more in 2024, because I only made it once uh, from motocross the nations, um, which is great. And also not great because it, it meant I was too busy with the American schedule and, and television here, which is awesome. But I really want to find a way to spend more time in Europe. Um, I enjoy my time there. I enjoy getting to, to see people that I don't often to. And, and I just truly enjoy the racing. Like they're the level in MXGP is so high uh, now, and it really has been for six or eight years, I guess. Uh, but it, it's really astonishing to watch. And and I, every time I go, I just leave there going, these guys are so damn good at what they do. And you can say it's specialized just for motocross, and that's fine, right? I our, The American riders are incredibly good at Supercross, and they're the best in the world at Supercross. Um, and I, re- I absolutely respect both of those things. But if you can't appreciate the talent level that is in MXGP right now, then you probably need to look at yourself a little bit more because it is uh, it is a renaissance time for MXGP. And uh, I, I just am blessed to be a part of it when I'm allowed to be. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, JT. The numbers say as well, the American audience at the moment is just captivated with MXGP. I mean, half half of our visitors through to MX Vice and, and over half of our listeners are now American. And that's one for one thing and that's obviously they come to listen to you but also um uh you know that they're infatuated there is a real there definitely feels like a real growing um like the the, the snowball is, is is definitely rolling down a hill pretty fast and growing pretty big with americans um who are literally can't get enough of mxgp at the moment so i think it's definitely the wheels are turning where i think before um from the u.s audience we're kind of a bit dismissive uh, definitely now over the last four or five years, I've seen, so, you know, a huge change with um, their interest in, in you know, in uh, what's going on in MXGP. And JT helps bridge the gap, doesn't he, James? Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing. I mean, because you've you've got quite a balanced view, uh, JT, you're able to appreciate, you know, MXGP as much as, a, you know, being an American and appreciate, you know, homegrown talent. So I think that's what's nice. It, it does give uh, your voice does lend itself really nicely with um, uh, giving a balanced feel towards, you know, how MXGP is at the moment and and, and the, the level of the riders. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, again, I I'm just uh, I'm lucky to be there um, at, at, you know, I, I used to watch MXGP races years and years ago, even when, you know, when I was racing, cause I raced, you know, these supercross races all over Europe and, I had a different perspective on the racing there than I think most of my fellow competitors. So I was much more interested in MXGP than other riders were because I faced a lot of these guys during the winter. Um, so to now be a part of that and get to see it firsthand and talk about it as a part of the series, as a true part of it. And, and they have welcomed me into their family. So yeah, just with open arms, uh, it, it's truly a blessing. No, absolutely, That's mate. Cool. Thanks again for your time and all the best for the rest of the year. And I'm sure we'll catch up with you soon and, yeah, cheers again, mate. It's been a blast chatting all things Moto with you this year. Okay, guys. See ya. Thanks for having me. See ya, mate. Thanks, JT.